We want to talk about hope tonight. We want to talk about the battle uh, for hope tonight. I believe today's battle is over hope from what I'm hearing people talk about and certainly what you're seeing and, and hearing even among believers. There's a great war over hope right now in our nation and in people's hearts. Well, let me tell you why hope is so important. Uh, because everything begins with hope. You'll never have anything till you can hope for it. I want you to look at the simple truth in Hebrews chapter 11, where it defines what faith is. And let's just look at half the verse. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 11, one, faith is the substance of things. What? Hoped for. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Another translation, another way of reading it would say like this. Faith, our faith is what gives substance to what we're hoping for. Can you have faith before you have hope? No, because faith is the substance of things hoped for. Which one comes first, faith or hope? Hope comes first. And if you lose hope, you can't have faith. And if you can't have faith, guess what? Everything starts with hope. If your kids are going to do better, it starts with hope. If your marriage is going to be better, it starts with hope. If you're going to do better, it starts with hope. The hope is the foundation of everything. If it's not original with me, I didn't say it. I heard it years ago and I've always believed it that you can go 40 days without food, about seven or eight days without water. You can live eight minutes without air, but you can't live one second if you lose hope. Hope is the foundation of our lives. It's what we live for. And there's a great war for, for a hope going on today. Um, listen, if I have hope, if I have the hope of God in my heart, take away everything I've got and watch what I do. I'll come back. But I don't care what you got. You lose hope in your heart, nothing matters. Everything starts with hope. Everything he does starts with hope. Genesis, an old man said, I've never had what I wanted all my life. The Bible said in Genesis 18, God brought him outside. He said, look up at the stars and count them. So shall be your descendants. What happened in that old man's heart when he said that? Hope sprang up. In Mark chapter five, when a man came and uh, his daughter was very sick and he was getting Jesus to come help him. And, and his helpers came and said, don't, don't bother him. She's already dead. And Jesus leaned over and said, don't you be afraid. You just trust me. What happened in his heart when Jesus said that? Hope came alive. Because our God's the God of hope and he brings hope into the human heart. And everything starts with hope. And we, we're, in a, we're in a place there's a tremendous battle over hope. Uh, I tell you, let's look at another verse concerning this. Let's turn to Romans chapter 15. How many of you believe God still speaks today? You need to do more and believe that. We've got, we've got to have that today. You have got to hear the voice of God today because man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I don't hear him with my ear. He speaks to our hearts and you know that he's spoken to your heart. How would, how would you know if God has spoken to your heart? All right, Romans 15, 13 tells us how we know if he's spoken to our hearts. May the God of what? Hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. Now believing means hearing him speak and believing what he says that you might abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit of God touches your heart or speaks to your heart, whatever you want to call it, comes near your heart, how do you know God is drawn near to you? Because hope rises up inside of you. You abound in hope. I don't care what the situation looks like. You just know the, the theological phrases. You just know down in your knower that you know. It's, it's, a, it's a spirit revelation right here. And you just know this is going to work out good. God's going to do something here. That's hope. That's how you know you've heard the voice of God when there's hope. Uh, in there. Now, t today in our land, there's a, there's a satanic attack on hope in the nation right now. There's a spirit of hopelessness, just a demonic cloud that's laying on the nation right now. 30 some years ago, I'm ironing a white shirt in the day of white shirts to go to church Sunday morning, watching a guy named Oral Roberts. You remember Oral Roberts? Watching a guy named Oral Roberts on TV. And Earl said, I have a prophetic word for this nation. He said, I see a dark cloud of hopelessness coming over America in the coming years. And I remember when he said that, my spirit just went bang, bang. It just bore witness. And sure enough, what have we seen in the last years? This cloud of hopelessness and despair. And uh, the, the circumstances of our land with the insanity, the financial situations, the school shootings, the things like this. They're just a dark, listen, it is spiritual. Amen. This is spiritual. It's a dark cloud of hopelessness coming over the land as the Bible prophesied it would. That's why there's such a war for hope today. Uh, you ever heard this? The thief comes to steal. Guess what he wants to steal from you? He wants to steal your hope out of your heart and hope out of your life because if he steals your hope, you won't even pray. You'll give up. And then you'll just be a dead man walking through life, just going through the motions. You can't believe till you have hope. 
And it all starts there. That's why I still now, I want to take you through scriptures for a little bit. I want to talk about how God brings hope into our lives. But before that, I want to show you from scripture. And I want you to learn this. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians 2, Satan will not take advantage of us because we are not ignorant of his schemes. I want you to listen to that again. That's 2 Corinthians 2. Satan doesn't take advantage of me because I am not ignorant of his schemes. Well, your heavenly father's given you a book that shows you the enemy's schemes and you don't need to be ignorant of them. And I'm going to show you five or six things that he does to attack your hope and steal hope out of your life. Now, some of you in this room, you need it restored. You're in a situation where you need hope over a family situation or a personal situation. And we all need hope for our community right now. All right. I want to take you through scripture for a little bit and just talk to you about how the enemy steals hope. Number one, <clears throat> he steals hope through storms around you. The storms around you will steal the hope within you. We read a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter 14, where a man named Simon, God spoke to him and he responded to that word in faith. And that man walked on water by the power of God, that God, God's power was released in his life. It was a miracle. But the Bible said when he focused on the storms around him, he began to sink. His faith collapsed. That happens every time. If you get focused on the junk on the news and things going around your family and, and you just get obsessed with what's the bad things around you, it'll steal the hope out of your heart. That's how they end. Now, there's nothing wrong with being aware of what's going on. You know, we should all be aware of what's going on in our community, but to dwell on it and focus on it will steal the hope out of your heart. And before long, you'll find a cynicism sitting in and you'll find yourself saying what other people say. Listen, we need, the Bible's very clear. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Listen to what the father said, lest you become weary and discouraged. That tells me right there, my father doesn't want me weary or discouraged because he just told me how not to be. And it, you can't stare at stuff that's going on around you all the time and let the storm steal it. Listen, there's, a, there's just a societal storm around us today and I'm just seeing people just lose hope. I hear people say, I'm scared for my children. That's hopelessness. Where, who is your great God? There's supposed to be bigger than this stuff. Well, we got to learn how to get hope in our hearts, but he'll do it through storms. Let me tell you another way the Bible teaches he'll do this. He'll steal your hope through words. People will talk to you and take the hope out of your heart. All, you see this all through scripture. One of my favorite ones, one of the greatest lessons I ever learned. Uh, in 1 Samuel 17, there was a young teenage boy named David, and he decided God put it in his heart, gave him faith and hope that he could destroy a giant. Now listen to me carefully. It was not about killing Goliath. It was not about the giant. His family, his people were in, in servitude and bondage to these people. It wasn't about killing a stinking giant. It was about helping people. He had to kill the giant to set the people free. We don't kill giants for fun. We don't cast out demons to brag about it. It's to help people. But God put it in his heart that he could slay this big sucker to help his people. And he said, I will do it. And so he went to King Saul, who is the expert. And the expert said to him in 1 Samuel 17, 33, he said, you are not able. You're just a boy. He's a man of war. Now, what do you think that did to his heart if he'd let it? I mean, God's put something in your heart. You want to do it. You want to help people. And all of a sudden, some expert says, you can't do that. Guess who's, guess who's speaking through that right there? Then was don't let people steal the hope out of your heart with what they say. That's why Jesus said, be careful what you listen to. In Matthew chapter seven, I learned a long time ago, you better stay away from experts if you're gonna accomplish anything on this planet. An expert's somebody with a briefcase and ain't ever done nothing. Can I get a witness? They want to tell everybody else about it. Now I'm gonna tell you, watch, listen, even, even quote Christians, you'll say something, they'll say, oh, I don't. Where did the spirit of unbelief come in our church from? came from hell is where it came from. Our God's a spirit of faith and hope. And the words will get in there. Now listen, you'll hear these things. You can't do that. You can't do that. Listen, you'll hear these words audibly from people and then you'll hear them in your head. Don't you think the enemy can't get in your head? Ephesians chapter six says, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers of darkness, taking up the shield of faith. What does God say? to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Surely you don't think he's shooting arrows at you. They're thoughts. Thoughts that come into your mind. I'm, I can't, I'm not capable. I can't do that. I've never done this before. Let me tell you something. Our God, if, it's, if it don't bring hope to your heart, it's from hell. Our God's the God of hope. And when he speaks, there's going to be hope. And Satan smothers hope out with words sometimes. Uh, matter of fact, let me tell you what the spirit of God has shown me. In Revelation chapter 12, we see a picture of Satan and what he's doing in the earth. Listen to what Revelation 12, 15 says. 
And the serpent has opened his mouth and has spewed water out of his mouth to carry the church away in the earth. Well, he's not spitting on it. What comes out of your mouth? Words. Satan has flooded the earth with words to cause people to be carried away. That's what's happening today through media and, and the talking heads. And just the, once in a while, I just, I just want to say, everybody shut up and let Jesus speak. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, you have to do that personally. A lot of times when I pray, I just, I'll just do like I'll say, every voice silent except your voice. And Satan has flooded the earth with words that steal hope out of people's lives. Be careful of those. Number three, he'll steal your hope through your own failures. Anybody here ever made a mistake? He'll steal your hope through your failures. All right, Simon made his commitment to Christ. He said, I'll follow you to the death. I want to be used of you to change the world. I give up my business and I want to follow you. But you know what happened? After three years, he stumbled terribly. He denied Jesus. He cursed him. He said he never knew him before. In front of everybody, publicly humiliated himself. And that was it. And a few days later, Jesus came back and met him in John 21 on the shore. And he said to Simon, do you still love me? He said, you know I do. He said, start over. You go tend my sheep. Go, go right back to what I told you to. Don't you think that uh, the enemy had gotten his head and said, now wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look what you did. You know, listen, that, look what you did. That's straight from hell. The Bible said this, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. And he don't talk about stuff he can't remember. And you got to be real careful that you don't let your past mistakes tie you to your past. And, and just about the time you think, I, I've tried this so many times. Well, how about one more? That's the voice of hope says, well, get up again. And then hope is always going to get up about past mistakes and past failures. Uh, failures never final with the living God. That's one of the reasons we love him so much. Failures never final with him. That's why I said in Philippians 3.13, forgetting those things that are behind us, reaching forward to the things that are still out there. Well, your enemy always wants you to look back. I'm, uh, I'm fixing to go deep. Y'all, we don't normally go deep on Wednesday night because I know you've been working hard all day, but can I do it one time? You can't go forward looking backward. Tear the rearview mirror out and throw it out the back window. All right. Now listen to me carefully. He'll steal your hope with your old identity. I've got an old identity. You got who you were. All right. In Mark chapter two, Jesus walks up to a guy and he said, follow me. You'll change the world. Follow me. You will change the world. He said it to a man who'd been a crook all his life. His name was Matthew. And he was a crook. He was a terrible man. He was an evil guy. And Jesus called him and said, I'm going to use the world to change. He was a lifelong crook. And he said, but you're going to be a world changer. Now I want to ask you a question. Did, uh, did Matthew change the world? He did. He wrote the number one best-selling all-time book in world history. By the way, Matthew wrote the book of Matthew. He wrote part of the Bible. Because a lifelong crook who, when Jesus said, come with me, decided he'd leave his past behind and go with Jesus. But dear ones, his, his identity, you know what identity is? It's how you see yourself. And many of us see ourselves for what I was. I was, I'm a loser. I'm a criminal. I'm an addict. I'm a, I'm a, that's not your identity in Christ. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. And boy, Satan will try to chain you to who you were and you need to make an announcement. He, he, that guy's dead. That's what, you know what baptism is? It's not because, it's not a ritual. Baptism is a picture of death and resurrection. Baptism is where we've been buried and that old man is in the grave. And when you come up, when I came up, when I got baptized, I came up, I said, he's dead. He said, well, he don't look dead to me. You ain't Jesus and I ain't following you. Now, you you got to get this. If any man's in Christ, he is a new creation. The verse in front of that says, we no longer know anybody according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I don't care who you were. Do not let him tie you to your past identity, who you used to be. That's not who you are anymore, but he'll steal the hope out of your life. Let me tell you what the enemy always says. Who you've always been is who you're always going to be. That is a devil's lie. I'm telling you, Jesus can make all things new. And uh, people will, God will put something in their hearts or they'll want to, they'll want to do something or they'll be called to something different. And they're chained to that junk back there. Listen, you got to cut those chains. But what do you think the sword is for? Amen. The sword is for cutting that stuff off of you or cutting loose like that. But you, your old identity is not who you are. Oh, listen, this is number five. But th this is the one that's killing people right now. 
He'll steal your hope through limitations and impossibilities. Through your limitations, your impossibilities. You say, I'd, I'd love to, but I can't. Yes, you can. All right, Matthew chapter 14, I'm sure you remember this. Jesus is uh, wildly popular now. He's been ministering two years. He's popular. People run him down. He can't, the Bible said there was so many, he couldn't even get a bite to eat. So many people were chasing him. Could you imagine if a man today could lay his hands on people and heal, heal cancer? You know how many people would fly their private jets and chase this man down and grab him? That's what was happening to Jesus. He was mobbed everywhere he went. That's why he had to go in the wilderness to breathe a little bit. And one day an entire mob, there were 5,000 men, just men, at least that many women and then children on top of that. So a huge, huge crowd for that time. And this crowd's all around him there. Jesus is helping him and he's healing their sick. And all of a sudden he said to the boys, he said, now they, these are fishermen. They're, they're not, they ain't been to college. They're just fishermen. He said, I have compassion for the multitude. They've been with me three days. If I send them home like this, I'm afraid they might faint on the way. And uh, Jesus said to the boys, he said, feed them, feed them, 10,000 people. And listen to what they answered back in Matthew chapter 14. Uh, Philip spoke up and said, we have one boy's lunch. I love this kind of stuff. Did, did Jesus underestimate that the food trucks weren't on the way? What, what happened there? Why would God almighty tell a man who's got one boy's lunch to feed 10,000 people? You said, that don't make no sense. That's the God of the Bible. You know, it takes a lot of hope to feed 10,000 people or either they ain't gonna get much to eat. It takes a lot of hope to do that. What, what's that all about right there? He said, he said, I want you to feed them. All right, listen to me. Hopelessness always stares at what you have. Hope stares at God's resources. Uh, by the way, does anybody know the rest of the story? Did they take what they did have and give it to Jesus and feed everybody till they was full? Why do you think that's in the Bible? I said, brother mine, that's a great story. That makes me so mad. That is not a Bible story. That is God showing you what he's like. And that's him showing you what you can do. Listen to me, that's him showing you what you can do. If this is just a Bible story and all we're supposed to do is read what he did back then and say, yea, then what the, what am I doing up here? There's the Bible is God teaching us how to live. And it's, how many of you'd love to do that? How many of you'd love to have Jesus say feed all or do something that big, just crazy. And you hold up your little, you got a nickel. I ain't got but a nickel. And he says, then give it to me and then watch what he does with it. You know what this is called? That's, that's hope on steroids right there. When you can feed 5,000 people with a nickel, that's pretty good right there. I am asking you a question. You don't think he's going to do it? They were just common people. You don't think he'll do the same thing to you? Now, now listen, you know why Jesus asked us to do these crazy things that are so far out of our reach? Because he's God and he does this kind of stuff. Plus he wants us, to, don't you know he could have just said food rain from the sky. But he loves to bring his kids into what he's doing and let them get a, the, the Greek word for it is buzz. Let them get a buzz out of it too. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Aren't you Philip? You're standing there and, and Jesus said, I want y'all to feed these people. You, you're standing there. I got one. I got a happy meal. And Jesus said, well, will you give what you do have to me? What do you have? Quit talking about what you don't have. What do you have? And he gave it to him. How would you like to have been the person to give it to him and watch him feed 10,000 people with it? With your happy meal? then let's do it. I mean, you might not feed people with that, but let's do something that, on that caliber. Why, why don't we get up to the Bible level of living? You know what that's called? That's hope. That's hope. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And uh, faith always chooses to look. I, let, me, let me explain to you. You know what explain means, don't you? All right, Mark chapter four, verse 30, Jesus says this. When I work, the kingdom work in my work, when I'm working, it's like a mustard seed. You remember this? Somebody remember the mustard seed? It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is sown, it grows large and the birds can shelter under it. That's what Jesus said. I'm going to take that which looks so pathetically tiny in you and looks so nothing. And if you'll just give it to me, when, it, when I get done, people will be shocked at how big it is. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts out very small, but hope will let it grow and it always gets that size. Right, let me give you some instances of uh, the, uh, our ministry living free here, they, they were birthed out of a ministry called Dunklin camp in Florida. Our dear friend, Mickey Evans started Dunklin camp, uh, 50 some 60 years ago, I guess now he's a pastor of a little country church. 
And God spoke to him. He's laying on the couch reading a book one night. His wife had been to bed and said, I want you to open, start a, a center, a rehab center for alcoholics. It's, there's an epidemic of alcoholism 60 years ago with men. I want you to start a center for alcoholics. And Mickey was living in a parsonage. You know what that means, don't you? A barred house. He had no money. And the Lord said, go do it. Go buy land and go do it. And Mickey pointed out, oh, there's one, one minor problem we got here. I ain't got no money. And he said, you just trust me, trust me. So, you know, he's he got a wife and three babies. He's got to give up his home because if he quits pastoring, he's got to give up the church house. And so he, go, he found 300 acres for sale in the Florida swamps. And he went to see the guy and he said, uh, I want to buy that land. I'm, God's going to help me. We're going to start a, a home for a recovery home for alcoholics. I want to buy the land. The fellow said, well, you, he said, you got to have earnest. Mickey said, oh, sir, I'm the most earnest man you ever met. I promise you, you ain't never met a man more earnest than I am. We're going to do this. He said, I mean, you got to have money. You got to have seed money, earnest money. He said, how much? He said, $8,000. He said, $8,000 might as well have been five million to me. And he said, well, I ain't got it. He said, well, when you get it, come back and see me. See that, that you say, well, God wouldn't tell you to do something like that and not have the resources. What book have you been reading? All he ever does is ask you stuff that's impossible. If you can do it, it ain't him. So Mickey just went and prayed and said, well, I did what I was supposed to do. You told me to go. I found the land. I'm ready to go. I ain't got no money. It's your camp. I, and he just prayed and then he waited. And I, I forget exactly. Some days later, an old truck pulled up and he knew the fellow was a dairy farmer. And he said, Mickey, somebody told me at the barbershop, you think about starting a home for alcoholics. He said, I am, if I can get, get it together. And he said, well, here. And he handed him a bag and he said, I need it bad. He said, I drink a quart of liquor a day and it's killing my life. It's ruining my family and I need help. Here, I want to give you this to help you start it. Take a while, guess how much is in there? $8,000 cash from that dairy farmer. And that their whole, every, that's the story. Dear ones, he didn't stop doing great stuff when the Bible was finished. He's still doing great stuff today. But, but Satan will destroy your hope with your, this is all I got, with your limitations. I don't care if you ain't got nothing, but <laughs> I don't care if you ain't got but two pennies to rub together. That's all he needs if you'll just hand it over. And uh, we just can't, um, here's a single mother living in poverty in the hood. And it's in her heart. My, I don't want my kids to grow up and want to happen what my kids happens to kids that grow up here. That's hope. He said it's a hopeless situation. No, it's not. Hope against hope, Romans 4 says. But she decides, I ain't, I ain't got nothing except a prayer and faith in God. And, and that's a pretty hopeless looking situation. I mean, even though she doesn't have the resources for that kid to do well. She don't have the money to send him to private school. She don't have the money to go buy a home and get him out of the hood. But what does she have? She's got a heart that loves those children and she's got a heart of faith in God and she's got hope. And if she can keep her hope up, I promise you the living God will work a miracle because that's not his will for those kids either. This thing, well, when I get it all together, we'll do something. Yeah, I ain't gonna never accomplish nothing. That ain't how, that's not how it works. <laughs> I, got a, I got two buddies of mine. They, they wanted to go into business together. They were working for a company here, wanted to go into business together. So a fellow approached him and said, I heard y'all want to go into business. He said, well, I'll sell you a restaurant. Matter of fact, I got two restaurants in one place. Uh, it's Haley Bales and uh, Best Food Cafeteria. So I'll sell it to you. And they told him the price. They said, we ain't got no money. He said, well, I'll finance it for you. And the two of them, it was all they could do. They found out you had to have $50 to open a, a commercial checking account 20 years ago. So together they scraped up $50 between them and opened it, bought their first truckload of food on a 90 day note and said, if we don't sell something, we're going under and God blessed it. And they're doing great. But now what if they'd have waited until they had enough money, started a restaurant with, 20, with $50. There was it. Listen, we, we got to learn that this God is not asking for you to have everything. He's asking you to have hope in him and faith in him and trust him. And believe what he says. If you wait till you have the resources, you ain't going to never do nothing. All right, one of my favorite verses, Ecclesiastes 11, 7 says this. He who watches the clouds will never sow. He who stares at the wind will never reap. You know what that means? If you have to wait till it's perfect, you ain't going to ever do nothing. Go ahead and take off while it's imperfect. Matter of fact, some of us are, are just got too much going for us probably. You need to lose a little something so you can be used greatly but your enemy will steal through your limitations and impossibilities. Let me put one more in here that he, used, he gets in the minds of people to steal from. He'll steal your hope through comparison with other people. Well, the Bible warns us about that. It said, we are not as those who compare ourselves to other people. Don't you compare yourself to anybody else. 
get in your head and you'll say, well, well every other, everybody else's kids ain't doing no better. I don't want my kids to be like everybody else's kids. I got hope that my kids will be superstars, that they'll love Jesus. They'll do great. Well, everybody else's family's struggling. That don't matter to me. I want mine to be what God meant for it to be. You don't, don't match what everybody else is doing. Get in this word and find out what he's promised you. You know, let's believe for big stuff. How about let's quit believing for bacon sandwiches and let's go a little bigger than that. And uh, folks tell me, how come you can't be happy? Your church is about the biggest one in town. I'm not comparing my church to other people's churches. I'm comparing my church to the one I see in the book of Acts. We've got a little ways to go. Can I get a witness? We, we, listen to me. If our God is who he says he is and this book tells the truth, we're setting our sights way too low down here. Now, if it's about me, I'm hoping not to kill somebody before dark. That's about all I can hope for. But if this God in this Bible is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he do, we need to raise our expectations a little bit higher. What happened to the miracles in the church? What happened to the people that started believing for big stuff? Let's go back to that. That's what, that's what hope does. Hope believes for big stuff. And uh, we got to hope for more. All right, let's talk a minute about where hope comes from. I'm telling you, there's a war for hope. And if he can steal hope out of your heart, that, I mean, there's a battle against hope in your heart. All right, where's hope come from? I want you to, uh, and we're going we're gonna to look at some simple steps to, to gain hope and to keep it. You got to keep, keep hope once you get it. I want you to turn with me to the great passage on hope in Ezekiel 37. Isaiah uh, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then Ezekiel. If you see Daniel, turn around and go back. I don't know if you notice this or not, reading the scriptures, which is the Bible is God telling you about himself. He loves to put people in hopeless situations so he'll have to come through. I'm gonna say that again. I don't know if you ever read the Bible or not, but all through the Bible, I see a God a father who loves to put people in hopeless situations so he can come through for them. Is that your reading of the scriptures also? How about three Hebrew boys thrown into a fiery furnace? What are they going to do? Carry like a small fire extinguisher with them? If he don't come through, they're sunk. How about Daniel thrown into the lions? I mean, just over and over in the scripture, his people, women, children, ox and everything slammed up against the Red Sea, an ocean, two mountains on each side of them fiery demon possessed uh, warriors coming down on them. If God don't come through, we're sunk. That he loves to put you in them places where if he don't come through, you're not going to make it. That's, that's a great place to live. The church is not dying today of persecution. We're dying of boredom. Because I want him to put me in those places where he's got to do something. I may be love for him to scare you spitless. Amen. All right, this is that great passage on hope and how to maintain hope. The hand of the Lord, now let me tell you that this is not a real, this didn't, this is a vision. It's a vision. He's showing, he's showing him, here's what I want you to see. And it's a vision that he gives this man. The hand of the Lord came upon me, verse one, and brought me out in the spirit of God. So he's in a vision in the spirit. Set me down in the midst of a valley and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them all around and behold, there were very many in the open valley. They were very dry. You got it? He's in a boneyard. This is an open graveyard. Apparently a war's been fought or something and the people have just been slaughtered and died and they laid there and they rotted and there's just, the, their bones are bleached. You got it? It's just bones as far as you can see. It's just a boneyard. And he said, God brought me out and he put me in this thing. Now it's a vision. It's not real. So you know this is, this is the spirit of God showing him, this is what I see in some people and this is how they see themselves. And uh, watch this. And he said to me, verse three, son of man, can these bones live? That's, that's the big question right there. Can this marriage that looks so dead, can it come alive again? Can, can this dream that I had that I always wanted to do, but I've been delayed and denied so long, I, can, I, can I get it back? This kid that we ain't heard from in three years, don't have a clue where they're at. Do you think we'll ever find them again? And he said, he's asking him, do you think there's hope for this dead situation? And uh, there's a reason he's asking him this. Well, look what the prophet answers him. He shows him how dead this situation is. And he answered and said, oh Lord God, you know, a Hebrew would say you alone know. 
So he's asking him, do you think there's hope for this thing? I'm surprised at the people that are losing hope over stuff today in themselves, what they wanted to do, what they wanted to be, their, their marriages, their homes, their families. And uh, this, is, this is a picture of that. And again, he said to me, verse four, prophesy to these bones, say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, I will cause breath to enter in you and you shall live and I'll put sinew on you and flesh on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you. You'll live and you'll know that I'm the, or I'm the Lord of Liddy. You will know that I did it. What'd he say? You say what I say to them and I'm gonna cause them to come alive. And he said, so I did. I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and a rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and the sinews and the flesh came on them. The skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath. See the word breath, a Hebrew word ruach. We get our word wind or it's spirit. Do you remember when he said in Genesis two and he breathed into man, the breath of God into his nostrils, he became a living being. It's the literal breath of God, but it's the spirit of God. It's a picture of the spirit of God coming on something, breathing on him. And he said, prophesy son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds and breathe on these slain that they might live again. Now, now remember, they're not literally dead. It's a hopeless situation as you're gonna see. So I prophesied or prayed as he commanded me and the breath, the spirit came on them, they lived, stood on their feet in exceeding great, great army. How many of you think that's a miracle? Now, that's a minor league miracle. I mean, you got all these dry bones and even a prophet, go back and listen, even the prophet didn't think they could live again. But God said, watch this. And he breathed on them and they became an army again. He brought that which is dead back to life. All right, watch this. Then he said to me, verse 11, son of man, these are the whole house of Israel, my church. They indeed say our bones are dry. What? Our hope is lost. We're cut off. These were a group. They were still alive. They were fully alive. They had their skin on them and everything, but they had lost hope. They'd lost hope about their futures. They'd lost hope about their worship. They'd lost hope for their families. And you see, we, we see a bunch of people just trudging along through the day. God said, let me tell you what I see. I see dead bones. And what's the real question? Can they come alive again? How many of you think dead marriages can come alive again? How many of you think dead dreams can come alive again? I know people started out, they just, Jesus was big to them. They were on fire for Christ. Great things were happening and they wanted to do great things. And all of a sudden things happened and things went wrong. And now they're just going through the motions. We were not created to go through the motions. We were created to live with passion with a touch of God on our lives. Uh, how many people do I know they're wishing their kids would turn around today? It looks, this looks hopeless and hopeless are two different things. Amen. And he said, can these bones live again? And even the prophet said, I, I don't, only you know. And what did he say? Talk to them, speak to them. And, and of course it's a great picture. This is the great picture where he says, I don't care how dead something is, I can bring it back to life again. I can bring dead hearts back to life again. People tell me today that churches cannot be filled with the spirit and the power of God and change their cities. I don't believe it. Amen. I'm not going to believe it either. I believe this word is true. And what, what's the whole deal? They chose to have hope. All right. All right where does hope come from? I'm going to give you some simple steps to, to get hope in your heart and then to fight for it and maintain it. And there's these are so simple. I don't know why we complicate stuff so much. What was it that brought these things back to life again? Speak my word to them. And when they heard the voice of God, a miracle happened. They came alive. What's he saying to you there? Demons, hope comes from hearing the voice of God. Hope comes from hearing the father because he speaks hope. Um, you, you can lose hope in a day. I mean, something can happen. You, you just get a, a discouraged and despair get on you about, you, you, I'll say to folks, what are you so down about? And you know what they'll tell me? I don't even know. Nothing bad's happened. I just, that is a spirit of despair. If nothing happened and you're, you're, you don't think anything good can happen, that's a spirit of despair. Well, let me tell you what makes it die. You can get alone with God in your morning devotionals or sometime and you can just get quiet and all of a sudden within no time at all, he can touch. When I say speak, I mean touch your heart and all of a sudden you can't explain it. But all of a sudden something inside of you just goes, we ain't done yet. I mean, it just rises up inside of you. And just like those dead bones came alive, the voice of God can cause hope to come alive in you. I, I, just, that's why it is so important to hear God speak. It, the most important thing you'll ever do is hear the voice of God. Luke chapter 10. 
verses 38 through 42. You remember the picture of Martha and Mary. And Martha was busy serving the Lord and she was all spazzed out and complaining and whining. And Mary just sat at Jesus' feet. And Martha said, tell her to quit listening to you and come cook the potatoes. And Jesus said, she has chosen the most important thing and it's not gonna be taken away from her. Then the most important thing you'll ever do is get to know your God and get to hear him. Listen, it's good to hear, it's good to listen to me or other people share with you about God. But let me make an announcement. He wants his own personal relationship with you personally. One of the great passages in the Bible, John chapter four. Remember the woman at the well? She met Jesus, it changed her life. She went into town and told some people about him and it changed their lives. And a few verses later, Jesus stayed for three days. And I want you to listen to what they said. At first, we followed you because of what she said, but now we have learned to hear you for ourselves. It was just good to let preachers help you. It's good to listen to podcasts and all that. I want you to learn to hear him for yourself. It's not a requirement, it's life. And listen to me, when you learn to hear the voice of God for yourself and you learn to get along with him, call it a quiet time or a, sometimes it's a loud time, whatever you want it to be. But when you get along with God and let him speak to your heart, something will rise up inside of you and you just know, watch what God does for this family. Watch what he does for me. And listen to me, hope, hope uh, we get one day's portion every day. You gotta hear him, you gotta hear him constantly because hope will disappear in a day. That's why you keep going back to the spout where the water comes out. Are you with me? With joy, will you draw water from the wells of salvation? And there is no excuse for hopelessness if he's who he says he is. We used to sing an old song years ago. It's one of them goofy backwards songs. We're too dignified to sing them now. We're like, it's Jesus on the main line. Tell him what you want. We got Jesus on the main line. Tell him what you want. Whoa. And then we get to dancing up at the main. Just have the best time. And just tell him what you want. Darren, he's on the phone. Pick it up. I'm sorry. Well, I didn't mean to be undignified in this fancy church of yours here. If you need your healing, you got to tell him what you. And we just get to. And then we start making verses up. We just had the best time. Dear ones, God is alive and well, and he's still speaking today. Put yourself in a place to hear what the man says. Uh, listen to him. Listen to the worship music in your car. Listen to people preach on the radio, podcast. Uh, I mean, get, just get wild and buy you a Bible and read it for yourself. You have got to hear the voice of God because his voice is hope. And when he speaks, something happens. That's why he said, let them hear my voice. And those bones came alive when he spoke. Put yourself in a place to hear what he's got to say. Now, listen to me carefully. We're not, hope is not something you work up. We're not talking about positive thinking here. That's human energy. Come on, brother Brian. Come on, bro. No, come on, nothing. We've moved into a day to where jacking yourself up ain't gonna work no more. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the voice of God. Romans 10, 17. We got a few positive thinkers still hanging on in there, but positive thinking ain't gonna cut what we're living with. The voice of God's what's gonna carry people through this. I got a friend of mine, he's a high-powered salesman. And he said, you know, I ran into one of them crazy high-powered salesmen. And I said, then what are you? He said, I'm on an airplane. This guy comes up there and he's one of them, just everything's wonderful. Everything's great. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. Everything's great. He said, everything's great. And he looked, I said, if you die tonight and this plane crashes, where are you going to spend eternity? He just got quiet. He said, I guess everything is great, is it? We're not talking about a good attitude here. We're talking about hearing the voice of God. Let me ask you a question. When those bones heard the voice of God, did they not stand up on their feet in army? That's the voice of God. He's the same God that'll speak to you today that spoke to them. Hope comes by hearing the voice of God. All right, so number one, you need to hear the voice of God. Put yourself in a place to hear him speak. Put yourself there. So I promise you, listen to me. Here, here's a word from heaven. Your enemy won't make you wicked to keep you from hearing from God. He will make you busy to keep you from hearing God's voice. You need to hear what he's got to say. Passionate. Number two, put yourself, you know, hear the voice of God. <clears throat> And uh, here, do right. All right. You got to hear his voice. But listen to what I'm fixing to say. I hope this don't catch you off guard. You have to choose hope. It's a choice. I mean, it's, it's, not, like, it's not like COVID where it's either on you or it ain't. You don't catch hope. You have to choose hope. 
Listen to me. You have a will. Exercise it. Say, I choose to believe God. I choose to walk in hope. And uh, look here. Quit waiting. Quit waiting on a feeling. That book's true. Whether you got to, once in a while, I'll, I'll take this thing and I'll read something in there and it's a good, and then I'll close it and then I'll go like this right here. I want to see if it's still in there even when I couldn't see it. There's this words in effect all the time when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. And you can choose hope. You can, you can believe God's word. Listen, America is choosing despair today. I don't even think we know what we're doing to ourselves. We are choosing despair today by talking about it. Christians are choosing to get in the, in the mully grubs today. Believe, how can you be a believer when you choose despair? What you believing in? You believing in the wrong report. And we're, we're choosing to believe wrong today. And uh, I'm, I, I get in trouble for saying this once in a while, but I'll quit saying it when he quits doing it. Who is your God? Well, who is he? We need to, listen, Satan is a defeated foe. When I pray every day and I go through my prayer and I get to the part about deliver us, I praise him and thank him. I praise you that you broke Satan's back at the cross. He broke him at the cross. And we declare over our family and over our lives and over our church, the victory that Jesus won at the cross. You know, we need, we need a bigger God and we need to shrink the devil back down to the size Jesus put him at. Is anything too hard for our God? As the scripture says, we need to get him magnified in our eyes, but you can choose hope. You can choose to do it. And then number three, fight for hope. You know why you have to fight for it? Because there's a fight going on. Ephesians chapter six, I'll quote it again. There is a wrestling match for hope in your heart. There's, your enemy is firing at your heart because if he can destroy your hope, you can't believe God for anything and you will accept this low level living. And you, you got to fight for hope and you got to decide I'm, I'm not going to do it if he steals it. All right, listen to me. You got to recognize when you get in despair, discouragement, hopelessness, the crapper, whatever you call it, you got to realize that's hell right there. That ain't Jesus. There's, there's not one mega fraction of hopelessness in heaven anywhere. In the spirit realm, there's no despair in the spirit of God. And when you get that heavy stuff on you, the Bible calls it a spirit of heaviness. In Isaiah chapter 61, a spirit of heaviness. When you just, it ain't gonna work out. I just, I swanny, I keep trying and I can't get free and, and I, I try to do better and I, I just can't do it and I'm about to give up. That's the spirit of hell right there. And you need to recognize what that is and you need to do what the Bible says and you recognize it. All right, let me ask you a question. See if you can see what the Bible says here. What does that spirit of, of hopelessness, what does it birth in people? What comes out of hopelessness? Apathy. And we become an apathetic people just eating our food, poking through the day. Want to watch a movie? Want to go get a cheeseburger? You want to burp? What you want to do? You are a world changer, not a burger eater. The very power that raised Jesus' dead body from the grave lives inside of you right now. They ain't no business being there like that. But you got to fight against that stuff. You can't, I'm, I'm, listen, I know this from personal experience. It is a fierce battle. How many times have I heard this? Ain't gonna work. Ain't no way this will work. Ain't gonna work. You gotta put your face right into the middle of that thing and say, thus saith the Lord. Over your family, your children, your church, your own life. And you gotta recognize where it's from and you gotta resist. You gotta, you gotta learn to say no. We gotta learn to say no to some things. All right, let me, let me quit by saying this. You should have two goals in your life in hope. Number one, you should have a goal to live in hope. I maybe go out of the house naked. Well, I shouldn't ask that in America anymore. My God, have mercy. People do it all the time. Is anybody here old enough to remember streaking? This is big in the 70s and 80s. People run across football field without the britches on. Had nothing on mess like that. And so that guy's name Ray something or other wrote a song. They called him the streak, fastest thing on two feet. Y'all remember that? Well, streaking's when you go out without your britches on, your clothes on, whatnot. You know what we got going <laughs> Our land is full of spiritual streakers today. We're going out of the house without the armor of God on and you're buck naked and you're getting beat to death. Do not go, do, listen, that, what's that capital one? Don't leave home without it. Forget the stinking credit card. You don't need any more credit. Hope, do not leave home without it. Don't go out of the house without hope. You just need to put a, put a sticker on your door. Got hope? Don't go through that door till you got hope. 
You should make it your goal to live in hope. All right, I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna teach you something. I'm gonna show you something in the Bible why you should never live with it. Don't try to live without hope. Matter of fact, if you lose hope, stop right there. Don't try to do anything. Go back and find hope wherever you lost it at. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter nine. I'm gonna show you why we can't live without hope. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter nine. All right, this is that great passage on what happens in hope. 1 Corinthians chapter nine. Let's look in verse, uh, let's look in verse nine. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse nine. It is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen that God is concerned about? No. Verse 10, or does he say it all together for our sakes? Watch these words. For it's written, no doubt, this is written, God's word. He who plows should plow in what? Hope. And he who threshes should thresh in hope. I can ask you a question. If you're a farmer and you, this is the time of year where they're farming right now, they just planted beans all around our house. Let me ask you a question. If you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that you wouldn't get a single bean or a single ear of corn or a single nothing, would you go to the trouble of planting seed if you knew good and well you wasn't going to get nothing? That's, why, that's what it means to lose hope. If you lose hope, what does it say? We plow in hope. If you lose hope, you quit plowing. Why would you plant something if you didn't think you was going to get nothing out of it? If you lose the hope that your kids are going to love God and serve God and be great citizens, you'll quit praying. You'll quit plowing if you don't think anything good's coming out of it. If you don't think God's going to do a great work in your life and make you the light of the world, you'll, you'll give up on yourself. If you don't think your marriage is going to be like God meant for it to be and a man will delight himself in the wife of your youth all the days of your life and live with joy with her, you'll quit praying and you'll give up. If you, if you have no hope, you won't plow and you won't harvest. Where's the great stuff in life come from? Where's it start? Back over here with hope. You hope first and then you plow and then you harvest. That's why I hope, that's why our enemy knows if I steal their hope, I'll take all the fruit out of their lives. And that's why we have to make sure. I'm not going to go through the motions in life. I'm not, I'm not just going to keep a job and pay the bills and eat burgers. I'm going to see lives changed. I'm going to see people helped. I'm going to see homes redeemed. We have got to believe for more than just me getting my cheeseburgers and making it. Praise God. Next week, I can apply for Medicare. Life is good now. <laughs> I qualify for Medicare. That means I'm old. I guarantee you, Jesus Christ created me for more than to collect Medicare and sit around with Velcro tennis shoes. Can I get a witness? We are world changers. We're here to make a difference in this planet. You got to live in hope. And now listen to me. One of the reasons you got to live in hope and every believer should say, I'm, I'm going to live in hope because God has called you to be an agent of hope. Does anybody know of any discouragement in the land anywhere? Does anybody know of anybody that's discouraged right now? Guess why he puts you in the earth. Then was Jesus was the agent of hope. Every time he spoke, life came to people. And you were, listen, we weren't put on this planet just to get me through the show. I was put on this planet to take a bunch of folks with me and to be an agent of hope. One of the greatest pictures, we won't take time to look at it, but in uh, Acts chapter 27, they're on a journey, they're on a boat, 274 people, and they come into the, a terrible storm. They had to throw their tackle overboard. They threw the freight overboard. They're driven by the wind. The Bible said they went 11 days without food in a storm. Listen to these words. All hope that we would be saved was given up. And after the 11th day, Paul stood up in the midst. He said, you should have listened to me. As a preacher, should have listened to me, not sailed. <laughs> nevertheless, nevertheless, have hope, men. The God whom I serve met me last night while I was praying and told me, you will be saved and I've given you every life on this ship. Take nourishment, men, not a hair of your head, not a hair will be lost on any head of yours. And Paul began to eat and they all took hope and were encouraged. One man in an impossible situation helped 273 other people stand up and have hope again. That's what we're in this earth for. Listen, we, you need to pour hope into your kids. You need to pour hope into the people where you work at. When they're sitting around rambling about how terrible it is, speak up and pour hope into it. When you see these single young moms that are struggling and they don't know how they're going to make it, open your mouth and help them. When you see people that are struggling, talk to them. We need, we need to have, I need hope so I can be an agent of hope. <laughs> I mean, you know, you ever felt bad for yourself and somebody came to talk, you felt worse for them than you did you. 
No, we're an agent of hope. Every time Jesus spoke, hope came up. I want to quote it again. I've already alluded to it earlier in Mark chapter five. One of my favorite situations. You want to see what God's like? Watch this. Mark, Mark chapter five, there's a man. He wasn't a Christian. Wasn't a follower of Jesus, but his daughter was deathly ill. And he came to get Jesus and he said, I need for you to come. And if you'll put your hands on her, she'll be healed. And Jesus said, I will go with you. Isn't it amazing how quickly he'd do something if we just ask him. And so they're traveling and Jesus got delayed. There was a woman who was bleeding. He got tied up helping her for a little bit. And the guy was very patient, but he sure was hoping Jesus would hurry up. And uh, they began to walk again. And what's going on in this guy's heart? I mean, he loved his, this, this ain't a Bible story. He loved his daughter just like you love yours. Imagine your child laying right there on the edge of death and your only hope is this man with his magic hands. And she's laying there right on the edge of death and he's got her and he's finally, he's, Jesus is coming. So he's, he's, the hope's in his heart. This guy's saying, hope against hope. He's gonna help him. He's gonna help her. He's gonna do something. And I've, God's gonna help me. And they're walking all of a sudden in a distance, way down the road, he sees people walking toward him and he knows who they are. And his heart just drops. He knows why they're coming. And they get up there and they won't look up at him. And they say, don't, don't bother him anymore. She died three hours ago. What do you think happened to his heart right there? My friend Ike Raggard pastored a church down in South Georgia. A buddy of mine, they were so excited. Him and his wife going to have their first baby. And this has been several years back. Well, you know, back, we were young back then. Things a little different in the, in the delivery room than they are now. And uh, Ike was so excited and, and said, all of a sudden, right about the push on out time, some buzzer went off and a nurse looked alarm and another one grabbed me by the elbow and shoved me out the room and they closed the door. And he said, about 10 minutes later, she walked out with my wife's jewelry in a bag, lost, the, lost his wife and the baby. And he said, that's, he said, that is the pinnacle of human joy to the depths of human despair in a moment like that. Well, that's what happened in this man's heart. Listen, people are living there right now all over the land. We're, we're watching TV and eating cheeseburgers while the world is hopeless. We weren't put here to buy time. We were put here to help this world. And this man, they tell him and his heart's broken. All of a sudden, he, he's forgot about Jesus now. All he can think about is his daughter. All of a sudden, he feels this man against him and he hears these words, do not be afraid. Believe in me. What do you think happened when he heard that? Hope sprang back up in his heart. I don't care how hopeless the situation is. When God speaks to your heart, something's going to come alive in here. And it jumped up alive again. And uh, they, of course, you know the story they walk. This is one of my favorite. I wish they'd do this. Nobody's ever done this one in a movie. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's Mark 5. So they walk to the house and the Bible said everybody's screaming and wailing and crying in the house. And Jesus walks in the house. I love the Jesus of the Bible. Not the Jesus of the American church, but the Jesus of the Bible. He walks in the house. He just stands there and looks around at all these people crying and sobbing. And he didn't go into petting them. Y'all, it's okay. It's okay. He just said, what y'all crying for? She's not dead. How you think that went over with Aunt Louise? <laughs> Grandma. They scorned him and railed at him. And then it got even better than this. And then Jesus said, he put them all out of the house. It wasn't his house. They don't even know who this guy is. They just know dad left for some reason. They then brought this hippie looking preacher back and he just grabbed grandma and shoved her out the front door. <laughs> threw the uncles out, the cousins out, threw the undertakers out the back door. Who is this guy throwing everybody out of the house? Little lesson there. You need to get the unbelief out of the house if you want to trust God to do something. And, and, uh, and the father, you know, the mother's over going to the dad and he just says, Jesus cleaning everybody out. You know, how, you know how full a house is when somebody dies? Crying and screaming. He's throwing them all out the door. Well, what are they doing now? Well, they're really crying now. Can you see grandma out in the front yard carrying on and screaming and hollering? Jesus said, close the door. And I'm tired of listening to her. <laughs> and the Bible said he took the mother and the father and his two buddies, went, three buddies, went in the bedroom, took her by the hand and said, little girl, get out of that bed. And she stood up. This is the God that's inside of you right now. And she stood up. And then what do you think the parents did then? And it, Jesus is so cool. He said, and then what, what did he say after that? She's probably hungry. <laughs> Read it. He said, give her something to eat. She's probably hungry. Off to the next adventure. 
You just got to love a man. Why are these stories in the Bible? Why are these in here? Just so we can say, yay, Jesus back then. Then was the Bible is God telling you about the God who's still alive today, who still speaks to people's hearts. You can still ask him to work miracles. You can still ask him to bring things that are dead back to life. Don't let it be dead if your God is still alive. That's called hope. Right, listen, let's make a deal between me and just between me and you. It's just a few of us here tonight. Let's make a deal between me and you. I ain't putting up with hopelessness no more. How many of you got real guts? You want, you want to find out? All right, when you get home tonight, I want you to turn to your spouse and say, the next time you catch me in despair, call me out. Not one amen. Well, you're single. I mean, I get one amen from a single guy. That don't count. Gosh, almighty. Could you imagine what your life would be like if you had hope? And the discouragement and the despair went back to hell where it came from. You were born of the living God. He is on your side. He lives inside of you. Send that stuff back to hell where it came from and you live in hope. And you plow in hope. Don't stay. Nothing wrong with getting in a ditch. There's something dumb about living down there. Me and Daniel, had, me and Daniel did his grandmother's funeral Sunday. I got to tell you, okay, I'm, I'm done. I did his grandmother's funeral Sunday. Wonderful lady. Went on to be with Jesus. Time to celebrate. 80-some years old. And I walked in the funeral home there at, over at McClue. Well, I'm not going to tell you where. Over the funeral home. And I walked in there and the undertaker. Well, they don't like to be called that anymore. The uh, morticians. Well, they don't like that either. Those old heavyset men in suits that hang around the funeral home. You know <laughs> So I walked in there and he said, every time I see you, I always think about that time when you pulled our hearse out of the ditch with your tractor. He said, you remember that? I said, yeah, I remember. I said, it was two years ago last January. Sunday morning, seven o'clock. We'd had 20 inches of snow two years ago in January. Y'all remember that? Big snow we've had in five years. And uh, it was just getting daylight. I just woke up, was laying there and the power went off and my phone rang. And my next door neighbor just passed away and he'd had cancer. He was dying. And so I went over there and got her generator going. We're working on it. And I said, I don't believe the funeral home be able to get here. She said, they're coming. Said, they're coming. So here comes, <laughs> here comes big daddy flying down there in that old silver hearse. And dog, if he didn't get almost there and he went flying down, slid off the bank, and went down the embankment with that hearse over there. <laughs> well, now if I'd have been the typical preacher, I just said, well, you know, you can't live on the mountaintop all the time. Just stay in the ditch. See you later. I just left him down there. <laughs> Don't leave people in a ditch. Get them out. So I said, you just sit right there and get my tractor. And I poked the chain to it and pulled him back up there and everything. And I got him out. Don't leave people in a ditch. America's in a ditch right now. People are just so discouraged and defeated. We have a God that don't let people stay in a ditch. And you need to pull them out. And then uh, to tell you even more that you don't need to know, a few weeks later, that lady she told me, she said, you know, they charged me $300 for coming down here and picking him up. I said, you gotta be kidding me, $300. She said, yeah. I said, well, I'll send them a bill for 150 for pulling them out of the ditch and I'll get half of it back before we can just give it back to you and we'll make it square with the thing. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I gotta quit messing around. We gotta praise your goodness. I wanna praise you and thank you. All through the Bible, we see hopelessness. We see dead bones. We see despair. We see people give up and then we see you walk up on the scene and all of a sudden the despair disappears and hope explodes in people's hearts. Lord Jesus, are you the same? Yes, you are. I want to praise you and thank you that the Spirit of God that raised those dead bones from the boneyard in Ezekiel is the same Spirit that's in this room right now. And I thank you the same Spirit that raised your dead body from the grave you said is inside of us. Heaven glows with hope and expectation and faith. And I praise you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I pray believe, and believe people in this room to learn how to, I don't know, tap into, tie on to, hook up, get on the main line, whatever. But hear your voice and know that when the Spirit of God draws close to me, hope comes alive again. I thank you that you are pure hope. And Lord Jesus, amen. they tell me some miracles passed away. I don't believe it because your word is very clear. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Now abide faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I want to thank you that faith is still here today, hope is still here today, and the love of God will never cease that drives that hope. And I pray for everybody in this room that they will be fighters for hope and refuse to surrender the hope that you've given them to live by and, and live in that hope and walk in it. Oh, Jesus, I've been there. 
I've been there where the, the darkness lay on me and I just want, all I wanted to say was I quit. But I've been there when you picked me up out of that ditch and filled me with your spirit and I declare, Lord Jesus, I believe I could have tackled hell with a water pistol when your help came on me. And I want to thank you and praise you that there is hope today. I pray for every person in this room, whether it's their own personal lives, their family situations, we refuse to yield to the spirit, the evil spirit of despair and hopelessness. I speak life and hope over every situation. And not just get by, I speak the best life possible that Jesus has got to give. Bigger than anything we could imagine. I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified. In his precious name we pray, amen.